I would say that it takes time. So don't think that this is going to, to work immediately the way you think it would. As much as you think you have a solution and the answer to people's problems, it may not be the answer that they're looking for. So if even your solution is still right, you need to understand what people are actually looking for before you start pitching. I think that was a big lesson. And the other one would be to, to really build a brand. From Smashing the Plateau, I'm David Schreiner-Khan with Going Solo. In this show, we discuss building your own successful business after a long career as an employed professional. Today on episode 127 of Going Solo, I'm speaking with business resilience and organic growth consultant, Catherine Ann Byam. Catherine had a long successful corporate career before she launched her own consulting business two years ago. Her business didn't evolve exactly as she anticipated, yet she is able to look back and see some of the key steps that had led to profitability. If you've had some unexpected surprises in your business, you'll want to hear some of the key steps in Catherine's journey that have supported her success. Stay with us to hear all the details. Implementing key structures as your business evolves is one of the strategies you will learn as a member of the Smashing the Plateau community. Inside the Smashing the Plateau community, you'll find a range of tools and resources to support your business, access to experts, answers to your burning questions, and the camaraderie of supportive, collaborative colleagues. Check out the Smashing the Plateau community so that you can build a successful consulting business on your own terms, doing what you love and getting paid what you're worth. Learn more at smashingtheplateau.com community. That's smashingtheplateau.com slash community. Now let's welcome Catherine Ann Byam. Catherine is the wing woman to your genius and a business resilience organic growth consultant. As a strategic partner to leaders, she helps businesses design and embed effective strategies for responsible brand stewardship to deliver outcomes that favor a wider stakeholder view. Catherine, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, David, for having me. My pleasure. Tell me a little bit about your career and also how you transitioned from employee to entrepreneur. Well, I think I have to start with I've made several transitions in my life. I think I'm, I'm the queen of transitions. But I started my life as an accountant. I did banking for quite a bit, two years. And then I moved into multinational company, tobacco company, did finance in there for eight years. Then I moved into internal audit where I got to travel around the world. I got to see things that I think I would not ordinarily have seen or experienced them in a way that I wouldn't ordinarily have experienced them. So I got to stay in some places that are pretty remote for up to two months at times, Wow! which really changed my worldview. It really changed how I interpreted equality, inequality, geopolitics, and a number of things that sort of influenced me today. And I then moved into supply chain where I did change management, but I also did a lot of sort of specific roles in logistics and planning. And all of these transitions were a product of, well, so many things, but one of the, the main drivers for all of the movement was that I felt that I had a glass ceiling on my head and I couldn't go up. And when I realized I couldn't go up, I decided, well, why not learn as much as I can learn? And learning has been one of the things that has driven me to, to be where I am today. 
Tell me a little bit about the glass ceiling. <laughs> uh, as much as I can tell you, I, I think when you when you come from the Caribbean to a place like the UK, it's not always easy to make the impact that you had in the smaller setting. Let's put it that way. So at the beginning of my career, I had about five different promotions within those sort of first 10 years. And in the last 10 years, I only had one. So that says a lot <laughs> already. And once you kind of realize that maybe there's more at play here than just your talent, you start looking for ways to not feel trapped, is what I would say. So that's taken me to look beyond the, the circumstances that I was in at that time. I didn't want to go backward into finance. So I decided, why not take the talents that I have and use them somewhere else? So I moved into supply chain, which was pretty different. But uh, having done internal audit before, I sort of understood the entire company. And this was a really great sort of baseline, a sort of foundation point for me to then make all the other moves that I made in my life. And moving into logistics was was eye-opening. It's very, very hectic. It's probably the most intense role I've had in, in all of my career, um, besides finance, of course. And that was also a bit of, how to say, testing my mettle and seeing how resilient I really could be. Um, moving moving from a background where I didn't have that in there into, into logistics was really an important pivotal point. And midway through that, as big organizations do, there was a restructuring announcement. And I started to think, hmm, what could I be doing if I didn't have this job? But from a positive perspective, like what other opportunities could there be in my life if I wasn't doing this? And that's when I decided to do an MBA. I didn't get made redundant, actually. <laughs> um, I kind of wanted it, but it didn't happen. And I decided to do this MBA. I came back to the organization after the one year sabbatical. And I'd really, I really became fixed on wanting to do something that was more purpose-driven after having done that. So after having all the travel, having seen how people lived in countries like Uzbekistan and Uganda, or some of the places that I audited, I really wanted to have a bigger impact in terms of social good, in terms of business for good. And these things started to drive me to, to seek new opportunities as well. So in 2019 was when I, I made my final pivot to starting my own business. Wow. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So you quit your job and became self-employed. Baptism of fire. Yes. And um, did you have any, any clients lined up? No. Right at the beginning? Wow. <laughs> Absolutely a big risk. And and it wasn't just a risk for me because my partner and I did the same thing at the same time. So incredibly risky scenario. But at the same time, we had built enough funds to be able to, to give us a grounding for the next, let's say, two years. So we gave ourselves sort of two years to make the business work. And, and what I thought would happen, you know, is it's, it's one of those things you, you think we have a combination of skills that will definitely sell. So I've done lots of change management and I have a cross-functional background. My partner is an IT consultant and he is now a data scientist. So he trained himself to become a data scientist. And we felt that this combination of skills, for sure, we're going to be able to do some turnarounds in sort of medium-sized companies. So we set out to target those companies as well as use our network but the problem is that our network didn't necessarily match those companies. So our network matched more 
bigger companies because these are the types of people I built relationships with in my time at a big multinational. So it wasn't as easy to get into the smaller companies because we didn't have those relationships necessarily. So that was definitely some tricky times. Mm. And um, how have things transpired? Where are you now? So it's taken us roughly two years to bring the business to a place where we are profitable, finally. Congratulations. (laughs) But but it's taken, and I would say the third financial year basically is when this is all going to wash out. But it's taken a lot because we've gone through COVID as everyone has. Both of us being in this position at the same time has been incredibly anxious. And I I think, you know, for, for most of us entrepreneurs, we know that this is going to be a psychological battle of wills almost to, to stay with it, to, to stay focused, to keep your faith that, that what you have to offer is, is worth it. But having both of us in the same position definitely brought a new level of anxiety, a new level of relationship stress and a number of things that you, you probably didn't factor in when you made the decision to, to leap. But what really worked for us, I would say, is having having faith, first of all, that we can we could do this and that we can get through the tough times of COVID in particular, staying with learning. I think learning has been the biggest part of both of our careers and lives. We're both committed to that process of unlearning and relearning all the time. And that has helped us to focus in on something that we want to get to understand where the gaps are and really try to nail it and nail it and nail it and and keep going and keep going and keep going. And I think failure is learning. So the fact that we went through that period of time when, you know, we weren't converting as many customers as we needed to, but staying with it, staying with it and understanding what the market really needed from us, that really brought us to a place where we can really say now that we've we've sort of figured it out. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit about the stress. How stressful did you anticipate that this transition would be? (laughs) I would say I did not prepare myself for stress at all. I'm an eternal optimist. So I didn't think that I would be in a a position of of probably losing a few teeth to grinding, (laughs) which happens as well. When we first did this transition, I took a bit of time off at the beginning. So the first thing that we did was to travel to sort of get our mindset in the in the right place. So we took some time off to just be together, spend that time together, because we know that once we start putting the, the pedal down the, to the floor, we're going to need to keep it there. So we took two months off. We went to Australia and New Zealand, and we, we had such an amazing time just really traveling around by car, you know, staying in a different place every night, but really trying to see as much as we can of the country, see as much of the wildlife as we could as well in in Australia in particular. And that sort of helped to reset because I think there's a there's a huge mental shift that happens between entrepreneurship and working in a multinational that you don't necessarily you're not necessarily ready to do the minute you jump you jump ship. And I think that that time to sort of reflect and think about what we really wanted, what we wanted the company to be was very important. So once we came back, we sort of centered around this idea of of doing the digital transformation work, but couching that in sustainability and couching that in making space for people to do the innovative work to get us where we need to get to in terms of the transition the planet needs as well. So this was a big part of of the combination of our skills. 
So the first bit is, you know, if you if you go into an operation, the first thing they're going to tell you when you start talking about sustainability topics is what's going to pay for it, what's going to pay for this transition. And this is one of the reasons tagging on the digital transformation work was essential to sort of getting into the door, because then we can say, look, we can save you 20% here and we can give you back sort of 5, 10% to invest in your carbon transition or in whatever transition you feel like you need to make. And, and even in terms of, of the teams that you have, you have built, just freeing up that time so that they can do the innovative work and creating that capacity for innovation would be so essential to, to your future growth. And that, that sort of idea and ideology really helped us to sort of stand out in some way. I think if COVID didn't happen, we would have flown a lot faster, but it really brought something different to the table combining our skills like that. Were there particular activities or exercises or things that you did during that those two months of self-reflective time that you think really helped prepare you for what came next? I think the main thing that we did then was to set our values. And I think that values and understanding your why is just so fundamental to whatever comes next. Because when you get to a point where the decisions are tough and difficult, you suddenly realize, why am I doing this? What's the purpose? What what do I exist for? And I've, I've had that question to myself several times in the last two years, especially after COVID. Because ultimately, we all have some kind of driving force, right? We have something that, that propels us forward. For me, it's definitely having an impact greater than myself. So having a mission statement that is really about saving the planet, saving humanity as a concept. So when I start talking about digital transformation, a lot of things come up. When I start talking about sustainability, a lot of things come up. And it's sort of understanding how to center myself so that I don't get lost in all the other things that come up. And and I think there's a lot of complexity involved in change today a lot more than we probably had a few years ago, or maybe five years ago, even before Paris, the Paris COP21 agreement. You know, people weren't thinking like this. People weren't thinking about how much change we would have to make in a short space of time. Certainly before COVID, we thought that digital transformation would take a lot longer. And well, we've had a we've had a sharp awakening to that as well. So I think really being able to understand purpose being clear on, on how your decisions are rooted in that purpose and being able to decide based on those values how to move forward when things get tough, that's been essential. And as the stresses started to, um, to show up, are there things that you, that you now do or that you've done over the last two years that have really helped you get through the tough times? So I would say for me, I am not the world's best meditator. So if, if you're looking for the meditation answer, you're not going to get it here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I recently realized, uh, self-diagnosed, that I am ADHD. And ADHD is a fascinating thing because it allows you to hyper-focus on things that are really important to you. It also means that other things could burn you out. Right. So you need to understand how to manage all of this in all the work that you're doing as well. So one of the first principles that we both set up in the business was 
we don't work on Mondays. So Mondays was a day we would go walk or do something together, whatever. But we did that also because of COVID, to be, to be fair, because we didn't want to encounter too many people on weekends, for example, because everyone who was working in a sort of traditional nine to five would be out on the weekend. So we decided Monday would be that day. We also wouldn't take meetings with clients or any sales calls or anything like that on Wednesdays and Fridays. So those days were just for either learning or working with a client. And the sort of Tuesdays and Thursdays would be the actual phone calls, the actual conversations with clients, but also take, thinking about taking on new clients and actual grunt work, skunk work, etc., would happen on Wednesdays and Fridays. And that helped me to manage the cycle of, of uptime and downtime that I need for my ADHD as well. So for example, if I needed to hyper-focus on something, creative task, which is usually my piece, I could sit down and do that all day on Friday without worrying about anything else. And managing my, my sort of week by themes. So having that Monday for me or for us as a, as a couple, Tuesdays and Thursdays to interact Wednesdays for the skunk work, Fridays for creativity, Saturdays for admin, possibly, Sundays, a bit of a bit of a mix, learning and, and downtime. That helped me to sort of smooth out the rough, so to speak. So again, I think everybody finds finds their way. Like my partner definitely took up meditation, so twice a day meditating and, and exercise, etc. But for me it was more about managing the cycle of my energy. Yeah, no, I, I love that. I love the way you've uh, described what the challenge was and also how you solved it. Yeah. I mean, fundamentally, I think we need to know ourselves. And I think that that's something that, that came on really as an important factor of being locked in a house with one person for, for a year, first of all, but also having the challenge of, of creating, of setting this business up and making it work. And when things aren't working, you know, you can you can quickly lose your path and your cycle, right? Um, you know, one of the one of the things I, I talk about in in some of my communities is about business cycle planning. And the thing about cycle planning is that if it doesn't work in the cycle as you wanted it to, you can get desperate, right? You can get desperate and you can start doing things that weren't in your plan to try to make something happen. And I think that that's where you start to get unstuck and where the burnout really comes. So you need, you kind of need to accept that you're going to learn from the cycle. You're going to stay put. <laughs> you're going to do the work <laughs> to get the next cycle right, as opposed to try to keep pivoting and shifting and changing. And I think, you know, obviously we have to pivot and we have to, to make change, but it's just understanding that change before you do it. And if you have a bit of grace in the finances to be able to give yourself that time, then do it. And if you don't have the grace to give yourself that time, then you need to pre-plan your contingencies. So you can't just let the, the situation happen adversely and then figure out what to do. You need to be thinking about that way before so that you have things in place already that you know you're going to trigger this or trigger that. And I think that really helps to, to make sure that you get over that hump. Yeah, that's really brilliant. Uh, Catherine, you alluded to the fact that you didn't have the right network to try to try to connect with uh, the clients you wanted to be able to serve. How, how has your, um, your business evolved in terms of, of connecting with your marketplace and also identifying what it is they need the most and how you can 
can provide the kind of solutions to their problems? Yes, I think two things have really helped. First of all, I started my podcast where I just launched the podcast for the Sustainable Innovator. And it was centered around the idea that employees are the greatest innovators in the world, not entrepreneurs. So I wanted to connect with people who were employed, but thinking about what they can do purpose-wise, what they can do sustainability-wise in the organizations that they were in. And that was a way to sort of tap in to a different audience. I launched a podcast in October 2020, yes. And... After that, someone decided to give me her Facebook group called Women in Sustainable Business. It was very bizarre, but she she listened to a couple of episodes of my podcast, liked my content, liked the business knowledge that I was bringing to the podcast. And she said, look, you know, I've been looking for someone with your kind of knowledge to take over this group because I don't feel like I can help the community as much as they need it. And I thought you'd be great. And what that did was it gave me sort of instant credibility. So suddenly I had this group of 500 women at the time. It's now grown to 3,500. And that's in a year, roughly. And I was able to sort of understand what was happening in in sort of the... I would say they're a combination of artisans as well as people running things like platforms and stuff like this. So I've had quite a mix of different types of business in this group. But it gave me a really good way to understand what the struggles were in trying to be sustainable in business, what sort of challenges people were facing and how I can help them solve it. It also gave me credibility in the sort of network. So I use LinkedIn as my channel to get the word out about the podcast, etc. And I've had people you know, write to me saying, oh, this episode was really good. I loved what this person had to say, or, you know, I love this conversation. Thank you for bringing it to us, etc." And that allowed me to start having conversations with people in a different way. So I think a combination of, of having a vehicle to open the door and talk to people, which is the podcast, which is even inviting guests as an example, and then having LinkedIn as a place that I'm showing up regularly and making connections, making sort of real connections with people that's helped to sort of position me as as an authority in change and in sustainability. And that's really, really helped. In terms of Chris, he has been using Twitter as a platform, which has worked remarkably well. I'm quite surprised at how well it's worked. But he's found a community of data scientists who do visualizations using just data. So no, no Photoshop, no PowerPoints, no nothing like that. They use simply coding to make beautiful graphs. And he's now become quite a legend in that community. So week after week, he tends to be the one with the most likes nowadays, uh, which is just amazing as well. And that's brought business as well. So just showing up with the value that he has and the skill that he has has brought business as well. So I think a combination of using using social media, but using it using it in an authentic, authentic way, is what I would say, and and driving real connection, that's helped tremendously. Wow. Yeah, congratulations on figuring all that out. Catherine, if, the, if there's one thing that you could offer as a piece of advice for somebody who was where you were in 2019 at the cusp of leaving your job, what would that piece of advice be? I would say that it takes time. So don't think that this is going to, to work immediately the way you think it would. As much as you think you have a solution and the answer to people's problems, it may not be the answer that they're looking for. 
So if even your solution is still right, you need to to understand what people are actually looking for before you start pitching. Um, I think that was a big lesson. And the other one would be to, to really build a brand. I think I underestimated the role of branding when I started. We just kind of wanted to get out there and sort of talk to our networks and stuff like that. And we thought we'd figure out the branding after we got our first customer. But now I realize how important building that brand was, especially because I was moving out of my traditional network. So people needed to be able to identify me with both an idea and a representation of that idea. And once I started to get that working with the podcast and and with the wing woman, Tia Genius, then I really started to see things happening. Yeah, it sounds great. Well, Catherine, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today on, on Going Solo and share your insights. If somebody wants to go deeper with anything we've discussed or access any of this great content you have and see what's going on in these communities that you're building, where would be the best place for them to go? I think the first thing is to to connect with me on LinkedIn. I think that's the place I spend the most time. So you can definitely find me and have a chat with me there. Beyond that, there's where I just launched a podcast for the Sustainable Innovator that they can download anywhere. And also I have a channel on Medium where I, where I share some advice. I also have the Women in Sustainable Business group on Facebook. So connect with me on LinkedIn and then we can take it from there. Sounds great. My guest today has been business resilience and organic growth consultant, Catherine Ann Byam. Thank you again, Catherine, for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. When you visit the Going Solo website, you'll find a summary of each episode, along with the links we mentioned on the show. Implementing key structures as your business evolves is one of the strategies you will learn as a member of the Smashing the Plateau community. Inside the Smashing the Plateau community, you'll find a range of tools and resources to support your business, access to experts, answers to your burning questions, and the camaraderie of supportive, collaborative colleagues. Check out the Smashing the Plateau community so that you can build a successful consulting business on your own terms, doing what you love and getting paid what you're worth. Learn more at smashingtheplateau.com community. That's smashingtheplateau.com community. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode. Music